Hi everyone, hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of Weekly Review. Today's topic is Weber on bureaucracy. So I'd like to start off by just defining the concept of bureaucracy. I'd like to discuss a little bit about Max Weber's life. Then I want to take you through his account of authority and the distinction between traditional and post-traditional societies, as these are really, really important to understand his concept of bureaucracy. So let's start off by defining what is a bureaucracy. Bureaucracy can be defined as any organization which is defined by a series of formal procedures, impersonal relationships, written rules, and specialized functions which aim to achieve the goals of that particular organization. It's a hierarchical structure which enables the pursuit of various social goals and it uses specific means to meet these goals. Bureaucratic organization, therefore, is a feature of both governmental and non-governmental organizations. We often associate the term bureaucracy with government, but it's very, very important to note that it also applies to non-governmental organizational organizations too. Now, while the term was actually originally coined in the 18th century within the emerging field or discipline of economics, the most influential theorist of bureaucracy, certainly in sociology at least, was Max Weber. And as you know, Max Weber was a German sociologist who lived between 1864 to 1920. So he's living in a very interesting time of urbanization, the rise of industrialized capitalism, so on and so forth. And he was born into a relatively wealthy upper middle class family who had interests in the textile industry. He also had very diverse academic interests. He was really what we call a polymath. He made hugely influential contributions to sociology, economics, law, history and philosophy. And he helped us to do three particular things in sociology. He helped us to understand the development of modern capitalism. He helps us to understand social change because he was particularly insightful in breaking down the features of different societies at different periods in history as we're about to see. And obviously he really helps us to understand the development of contemporary bureaucratic organisations. The really important thing to note about Weber is that Unlike Marx, he's not interested in explaining society in terms of universal laws or trying to analyze a structure of society as if uh, it followed distinctive stages. He rejected the idea, in fact, that society operates through determining laws or that individuals are purely the product of external forces. And instead, Weber's really influential contribution to sociology was the focus on how ideas and human action drive social change in society. We saw this on the uh, week on religion, if you recall, where he's talking about the rise of the Protestant ethic and the development of capitalism, for example. He felt that some schools of sociology in his time ignored the importance of human action, human agency, and the way in which people co-construct meaning in their everyday lives. So that is a loose spiel about Weber. So before we actually kind of unpack his thoughts on bureaucracy, it's very important to understand that 
his account bureaucracy is part of a larger account of social transformation, social change. And Weber posits a basic distinction between traditional and post-traditional societies. Weber argued that a traditional society has the following properties. There's a reliance on custom and tradition to guide our social relationships and our institutions. People assume in such a society that the past is the best guide to make any decision. And as a result, Weber argued there's often very limited social innovation and social change in these societies. The second property of a traditional society is that this reliance on custom and tradition helped to assign our social roles in society. So, for example, people in positions of leadership, they assume their authority on the basis of appeals to traditional beliefs or through hereditary ties. So as a result, in such a society, there's very limited social mobility. People cannot change their class position, nor is there even geographical mobility. So people actually aren't as free to move um, geographically from place to place. So, for example, if you were a peasant, you were technically the property of your lord, and your lord forbade you from leaving the grounds of his manor, for example. In a... Post-traditional society, though, social custom and tradition are no longer the most important means of social organization. Instead, efficiency as an organizational principle becomes paramount. And efficiency for Weber is particularly associated with something called instrumental rationality, which is a way of thinking. It's the ability to identify and apply the most rational means or techniques to achieve a predetermined end. So, to give you an example of this, in a traditional society, for example, goods and services, but say leather shoes, to give you a random example, were produced in light of long-established customs. Occupations in your society, say as someone who makes shoes, was actually inherited typically from your ancestors, and individuals were required to perform multiple jobs as part of their fixed social role. So if you imagine uh, an artisan making shoes, they would be involved in every single stage in producing that shoe. Everything from, you know, uh, you know, tanning the hide perhaps, uh, you know, cutting the leather and then distributing it for sale, the whole process. But in a post-traditional society, sorry, goods and services are produced in light of this question. What is the most efficient way for me to produce it in terms of time, cost, material inputs in order to maximize my productivity, to maximize my profitability. So in a post-traditional society, you're going to see shoes, leather shoes, being produced on a mass factory line where each worker only does a tiny little part of producing that leather shoe, for example. Now, apart from the rise of efficiency as an organizational principle of post-traditional society, Weber also argue that there's been a fundamental change in how authority, political authority, social authority, economic authority, is actually exercised in modern society. And Weber tried to do this by explaining that we can distinguish between three ideal types of authority. An ideal type is a type 
of theory which allows us to understand the social world because all theories have to make certain simplifications or abstractions given the complexities of reality. A theory can never do full justice to understanding a particular phenomenon in all of its depth. But through making simplifications, even though they are often imperfect, it allows us to apply concepts to real-world situations to see whether they are adequate or inadequate in, in understanding an issue. And from this we can construct even richer theories. So these are ideal types of authority. They are not designed to comprehensively explain everything about how authority works. But the best way you can understand them is that they offer us a picture into how authority works in the real world, even if it's not quite perfect. So let's start with the first type of authority, the charismatic authority. Now for Weber, charismatic authority is a feature of post-traditional and traditional societies. And it's a kind of authority where a particular individual, or maybe even a group, is widely deemed to have exceptional skills, abilities, or accomplishments, or maybe they have a connection to divine power or supernatural or superhuman forces which inspires and justifies devotion from their followers. Charismatic leaders often offer a utopian or revolutionary vision for society, and they often have the capacity to rapidly shift social values, beliefs, and attitudes quite rapidly. So you can think of people like Donald Trump. You can think of people like Martin Luther King. You can think of people like Hillary Clinton. You can think of um, people like Sarah Palin, for example. They are charismatic figures. The downside to charismatic authority, as we're seeing now with the situation in the White House with Donald Trump is that it can be very, very unstable, especially if these leaders fail to deliver the social changes that they're promising. But actually, charismatic authority can be a very durable form of social influence because leaders can create cults of personality around them, which stifles dissent. So you can think of charismatic figures like Hitler, and Stalin, right? It wasn't purely through violence and coercion that they were able to maintain their rule. It's because people bought into their vision of society and bought into them as individuals. So the second form of authority which Weber argues is really important in contemporary society is... Um, sorry... Traditional authority. Sorry, I lost uh, track of my notes there. Traditional authority is a form of social leadership where the authority of a ruling group or an organization rests on established customs and tradition. And this is a quite obvious illustration of authority. You can think of the British royal family, for example, as a classic illustration of authority here. And lastly, Weber argues that in a post-traditional society, in particular, the third type of authority has become really important, and this is rational legal authority. And rational legal authority is a situation where power is legitimated and it's exercised through legally enacted rules, which are co uh, coercively enforced by different organs of the state. And Weber argues that rational legal authority is exercised typically through bureaucratic organizations. And this is the link to bureaucracy here. 
Weber has a quite specific take on bureaucracy. He argues that it has a number of features which are almost universal. So in all but bureaucracies, there's a clear division and specialization of labor. There's a hierarchical structure. There's a reliance on written documentation, for example, policies and procedure documents. There's specialized training and knowledge of the bureaucrats who work in an organization. And the whole organization is run by general and personal rules. In theory, decisions are made on the basis of efficiency, rationality, rather than custom or favoritism. Now, Weber argued that bureaucracies offer considerable advantages and strengths for a society. So in theory, you can think of the advantage of competency. Officials to a bureaucracy, they're appointed on the basis of their personal strengths as individuals rather than the arbitrary will of someone or relying on custom and tradition. There's the advantage of consistency. Your work is consistently completed efficiently and effectively. There's control and order. All individuals understand their particular role due to the hierarchical nature of the organization. And obviously, many bureaucracies are orientated towards the common good. So, you, you know, you can think of how bureaucracies provide key public goods and services, welfare, education, healthcare, for example. They're very useful in maintaining public order, security. You can think about the regulation of economic activities, for example. Many, many different examples we can go on here. But bureaucracies actually create quite significant social problems as Weber foregrounded for a number of reasons. First and foremost, for Weber, bureaucracies were extremely dehumanizing because their goals were instrumental, because they limited the talents of people working in them, and because they were impersonal in terms of how they treated people. And Weber was concerned that the concentration of power within bureaucratic entities could actually undermine democracy too, through the capturing of elected politician, uh, elected politicians, sorry, by bureaucratic processes. So, for example, the Australian Taxation Office, perhaps, offers specialised knowledge, expertise to the government. The government relies on that advice, but perhaps, to give a random hypothetical example, the ATO has a vested interest, right, in communicating that knowledge and politicians because they're so reliant on the ATO they accept blindly what um, the ATO has to say one other problem that comes up with bureaucracy is that sometimes they can be so focused on filling their social ends they become incapable of innovation and change especially in the face of changing social circumstances there's often a large amount of red tape in bureaucracies, which generates inefficiency, frustration, and there can be other some uh, there can be some other issues as well. Sometimes because job roles are written according to specific criteria, or because there's a rigid division of labour, sometimes people's talents, their abilities, their potential can be constrained by a bureaucracy. It can breed alienation at work. So, there are many, many advantages and disadvantages to bureaucracy. The one point I would just leave you with is 
For some, that Weber was actually quite pessimistic in his diagnosis of the future of contemporary society because he felt that the contemporary social world was becoming so dominated by bureaucratic organization that individuals were increasingly becoming dehumanized. Weber famously used the metaphor of the iron cage to describe the way in which human freedom, human creativity was being constrained. And he was also concerned that immoral actions, once constrained by the forces of moral custom and tradition, could actually become organized on a mass scale. So you can think of, um, you know, the horrors of the Holocaust. This is a perfect illustration of the dangers of bureaucracy. The Holocaust could never have happened if the Nazis weren't able to mobilize resources very, very efficiently in their immoral pursuit of the extermination of social undesirables like gypsies, homosexuals, Jews, so on and so forth. And Weber, coming back to this metaphor of the Iron Cage, was very concerned that people's intellectual, emotional well-being could increasingly become stunted through technocratic thinking, applying what's the most efficient means to attain a preset uh, set of goals or ends, even if these ends are ultimately irrational or morally perverse. So you might want to look into the example of the Ford Pinto, a P-I-N-T-O. Maybe go to YouTube and Google the Ford Pinto. This is a classic illustration of the immorality that bureaucratic thinking sometimes engenders. So guys, that is the podcast for this week. I hope you found it useful and thanks for listening.